Uh, in terms of today then, um, we're going to continue in a series that we're in, which we've entitled Jesus Changes Everything Full Stop. And it's a series where we're looking at the uh, letter written by Paul to a bunch of believers in a place called Colossae, uh, called Colossians. And why we've entitled it Jesus Changes Everything Full Stop is because our firm belief is this, and what we're discovering week on week through this series is that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has changed everything, both for us as individuals, for the entire world, and who knows, the entire cosmos. And therefore, nothing needs to be added to Jesus. We never need to think Jesus isn't quite enough. He is, full stop. And therefore, this morning, I want to kind of continue where we left off last week, actually. If you were around last week, uh, Mike did a superb job of explaining how Jesus changes everything in respect to suffering. And if you're around, you'd have heard Mike really detail a superb kind of theology, a way of thinking biblically with God at the center of how we deal with life when it doesn't quite go how we were expecting. And if you weren't around last week, I'd, I'd really encourage you, strongly urge you to go online and listen to Mike's talks. It will do you good. But in essence, what Mike was saying is that, yes, we believe that Jesus changes everything full stop. And therefore, when we have moments where we maybe are needing healing or maybe we're needing a breakthrough, that we live in this tension of understanding that Jesus can change that situation and Jesus will change that situation. But the gap between the can and the will, no one can predict. And sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it's lifelong, and sometimes the moment where we know Jesus will heal, which Jesus will break through, is the moment when we finally meet him face to face. And that period, if you like, between the Jesus can and the Jesus will, depending on what we are living with, is actually a season that we could call suffering. And Mike said that suffering can happen either because of the fact we're following Jesus, and can mean because of the fact that he's at the very center of our lives, it means that we either get reaction for others or just through our denial of some things means that we get to have to live with suffering. Or it can actually be in the fact that we're still with Jesus. The fact that we've got Jesus at the center of our lives doesn't mean that our life is going to be pain-free. Actually, we need to know that this life will throw stuff at us. And it isn't in that moment that we're to then think, where's God? But rather understand that God is with us in that. And then Mike said, well, then in this moment of suffering, we need to understand that, that gap between Jesus can and Jesus will actually is a moment where we can understand that the gospel will be revealed through our journeying through suffering. But also the gospel will cause us to endure that suffering. And the gospel is Jesus. Gospel is literally a word that means good news. And the good news we have is the good news of who Jesus is, that he lived, he died and rose again in order that anyone who discovers who he is can get to live in the wonder of his life that he offers, which is a life governed, saturated, encompassed by his eternal love which is something that we here have come to discover and come to think, man, this is good. We've got to get the word out. And therefore, if you're new here, my hope is, if nothing else, you leave knowing this. God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, loves you more than you could dare to believe. 
And his desire for you is that your life would be one that is saturated, consumed by his love. Understanding that nothing external is to define you, rather he longs for you to understand that everything comes from that place of knowing that you are loved. But as we kind of go back then to suffering, we were talking this team, and to be honest, we weren't going to be looking at what I'm going to speak on this morning, this Sunday. But as we were talking, reflecting this last week, in terms of where we got to last week, in terms of this excellent exposition of what a theology of suffering looks like, we just suddenly thought, actually, I don't think this is a moment to just move on. It feels like there's something more that we're to get hold of in respect to living with suffering. And that isn't because we want to be like some sort of emo church. is isn't that we're going to kind of suddenly think, oh no, we're just to expect it, suffering, suffering. No, no, it isn't that we're ever going to go looking for suffering. is isn't that we're going to live wanting suffering. It's rather that we live with reality. Suffering happens. And therefore, rather than pretending to brush that under the carpet and think, hey, hey, we did a week on suffering. Now let's get back to how life's really good. Life's really rosy. Hooray! Now we thought, no, we live in a real world. A real world where I know there are different individuals in this room who could stand up and say, hey, do you know what? My story at the moment is marked by suffering. There are others of us who think, well, my life isn't marked by suffering. Well, I still want us to understand how we can ensure that our faith isn't rattled if we ever encounter it. And therefore, if you like, we're going to therefore dig a bit deeper and say, actually, not kind of, there's more to say than what Mike had said. It's not that. It's rather, how then do we live in the good of everything that Mike shared with us? last week? How do we live in that sense of the goodness that God has for us, even in moments of suffering? And it's that that I want to look at today, as I want us to understand that we can live with suffering, because Jesus changes everything full stop. And to start off, I want to connect two bits of the Bible that we heard mentioned last week. So we heard what Mike kind of looked at in Colossians, and then before that we heard the Rosia story, and we heard something of the, the kind of a passage from the Bible that they're living with that is giving them so much life at the moment as they do their journey and road of suffering. And that's uh, another passage written by Paul to a different group of believers in Corinthians. And what I want to do is just join the dots between those two, because for us to live in the good of everything Mike shared last Sunday... For us to live knowing that suffering isn't just to be endured, but suffering is a moment to know God with us, to reveal God with us. It's kind of this bigger picture we're to live with. So if we connect these two, we then see how we live in the bigger picture. The bigger picture is this. Colossians 1.27, to them, that's us, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's everyone who isn't a Jew, the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Don't worry, we're all let in. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone who said, yeah, I want Jesus, you to be at the very center of my life. I want you to be on the throne, the thing that governs everything else. And I'm going to seek to live a life that continuously seeks to put you there, knowing that sometimes that's going to mean saying no to things as well as saying yes, knowing that's going to be a journey that's going to take the rest of my life because I'm not the finished article yet. 
that if we've sought to do that, what happens is Jesus comes and takes residence in us. Literally there. That he comes and says, hey, we're now together. You're in me. Everything of who I am, all my goodness, all my rightness, all my relationship with the Father, hey, that, that's where you get to be. Oh, and, and where am I going to be? I'm going to be in you. I'm going to come and dwell in you. So, you know, this isn't some pipe dream. No, this is me saying we're, we're now connected forever, eternally. I'm going to dwell in you in order that what? In order that you'd know hope of glory. Now, again, that can sound a bit out there, can it? Hope of glory! I don't know how you say it. I often feel it kind of needs to be said like that. I feel like we're, we're geeing up on, we're a bit cold. We're kind of warming up this morning. We're waking up, it's bright sun, it's starting to go away. We're now thinking, oh, Adrian, light's going, let's just sleep. No, no, hope of glory. And so with that, that can feel a bit out there. And yet it's meant to have kind of a sense of concrete substance to it. We're not talking to something that, that's kind of out beyond our comprehension, but what we're understanding is this hope of glory, this hope of what is something that's better than we could ever imagine. Glory that what we just see described in Old Testament is, is a description of God's goodness, God's compassion, God's mercy, God's love. That's what glory is. It isn't some kind of bright, shining light. It's something of substance. It's the very essence of who God is. So that, that hope of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's compassion, oh, that's in you because Jesus is there, because Jesus is God's glory revealed. And so then we say, well, there's this hope of glory we've got in us. But then there's a reality check. Because if I leave there and say, yeah, okay, great, hope of glory, but it doesn't feel like that sometimes. That's where the next bit helps us so much 1 Corinthians 4, 7 to 9. Verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure. What's the treasure? That Christ is in us in jars of clay. Man, if you're not feeling offended yet, let's offend you. Just look around the room. Look at yourself. What are you? You're a jar of clay. What am I? I'm a jar of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. But if you feel like that today, it's all right. Why? Because God wanted us to know it isn't that we're doing something wrong. It's just how life is sometimes because we have this immense treasure, this hope of who Jesus is and what he will do in us, these jars of clay, these jars that are so fragile, that sometimes can seem so beautiful and yet sometimes can feel like they could break at any moment. And the call and the key in living in that path of suffering as jars that can feel crushed, perplexed, despairing, persecuted, struck down is that we don't look at who we are as the jar. We remember that within us is the treasure. The key to walking the path of suffering is understanding we have the treasure within. <laughs> it's to understand that within you and I is the hope for the whole world, Jesus 
and Jesus defines things differently. Now at this point you can think, well, it still feels a bit out there. It still feels a bit like, okay, great. I feel a bit crushed. I feel, to be honest, as though I've been knocked off the shelf and someone's trying to glue me back together. And what you're saying is, okay, don't worry about the jar. Think of Jesus. How? And it's that that I want us to really dig in on. Because yes, it is true that we have this unbelievable treasure. But sometimes it can be hard to see it. Sometimes it can be hard to find it. And therefore, we need to get good at living, understanding at how we keep our eyes on the treasure, not on the jar. And if I want us to just briefly do that in three ways, I want us to look at how do we live with suffering when we're suffering as individuals? How do we live with someone who we love who is suffering? And then lastly, I want us to look at then how do we live as a community where people are suffering? Um, If you like, this is gonna be pretty practical My hope is it will just give us some things, not necessarily to think, right, here's the A to Z of how we do this, but rather some some kind of lines to think, okay, I think I could do that. That gives me some nature of, or kind of some directions of how I live out just even today. And that's my hope. So let's start off with living with suffering. If you're suffering here today, I am not going to patronize you to say that I know exactly what you're going through. I don't. I don't know how it feels to be you. I do know what suffering's like. I know many different periods of my life where I've known suffering. Suffering sometimes that have been as a result of my own stupidity. I can tell you the story of how I was running down the ladder forwards forwards with a laptop from my loft to my second floor or first floor And as I'm running down forward, slip off the top run and embed myself on my ladder. As a result of that, taken out for five weeks as I nearly lose the use of my right arm. I tell you what, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant living through the pain of it. It wasn't pleasant living through the moments of uh, kind of it all getting infected and kind of being given various drugs that caused me to lose my mental health, literally, uh, to not stop being sick. Those things weren't pleasant. So I know what it's like at different points to suffer. Suffer sometimes through things that I've done stupidly. Suffer through things that others have done. Suffer sometimes just because of what I've believed. I know the suffering that I've endured, and I'm not going to liken it to yours. But I do think there's things that we can do within that moment of suffering that help. And the first thing is that we need to be those who approach God. If you want to keep your eyes on the treasure, not on the jar, we need to understand that we can quickly approach God in suffering. And therefore, we need to understand the God that we're approaching. See, sometimes we can get this thing and it suddenly goes a bit wrong in our heads where we think, all right, I'm suffering And then we kind of distance ourselves from God as we think, well, what kind of God would allow this? Rather, we have to remind ourselves of who this God is who promises to be with us regardless of suffering. See, who this God is, is Matthew 12, 20. He's the one who knows that we're fragile and need to be handled with care. That we're like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. 
Not all the time, but sometimes. Sometimes we just know that we, if we could, we'd leave our house every day. And sometimes we don't even feel like we can leave the house with that tape, all got that white tape of red writing, fragile, handle with care, just strapped all around us. And God knows that. He's the one we approach who knows how we need to be handled. He's the God who is 2 Corinthians 1.3, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The God who his very essence is a father who as a father at the core of who he is, is full of comfort and compassion. That's the one that we're looking to approach. He's the one who sits in a throne that is of grace. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How often do we spend time thinking, I've got to figure this out, I've got to get myself right, where God is just sat there saying, come to me, because I've got everything you need. But we're saying, but, but God, I know you can, and I know you will. I just feel I'm living through suffering. And God says, no, I've got everything you need for today. So we come and we need to know that we live to approach one who understands, who knows how to handle us, who's full of comfort and compassion, and one who has everything that we need. But having approached him, we need to understand that we give voice. I think one of these things is that we can sometimes... Dial this one down. If we have to give voice to how we feel. If you read the Psalms, they're full of individuals often who are at points of suffering and they don't hold back in telling God how they feel, what's going on. So Psalm 61, I've just put it there as a, a, a beaker to be a good place to start. What we see in that Psalm is it literally starts with, I cry out to you, God. And it isn't kind of, I cry out. Now, this is a desperation. This is, I'm on the floor crying out to you because, God, I need you because everything else feels like it's falling away from me. When you're suffering, it's okay to give voice to your suffering. And in understanding who this God is that we approach, we then know, actually, he wants to hear exactly how we're doing. Therefore, let's not be shy from crying out to him. Let's not be shy from expressing exactly how we're doing. If you've not been around when we've talked about how you deal with your emotions, is you discover how you are by just simply asking the question, why? Why do I feel like this? Well, because I'm suffering. Okay, okay but what's that making you feel like? Why? Why do you kind of, are you reacting? Oh, because I feel hopeless because I feel desperate. And we give voice to that. We give voice to that to God. We give voice to that to other people, which brings us on to this next point, is don't isolate. In the moment of suffering, it is so easy to say, no one understands. I need to be by myself. God didn't make us that way. God made us to live in community. Now, for some of us who say, yeah, but I'm more introverted. Yeah, I understand that. But introversion doesn't mean that you therefore get to live alone. No, it's meant that you're still made to not necessarily be around people all the time, but have people with you who know you deeply and can understand and stand with you. 
Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. You see, it isn't that we're to men think, oh man, I'm suffering, I've just got to endure. No, it's that we're suffering, I need others to come and help me and carry me. Let's not be those who isolate ourselves alone. Sometimes the boldest thing we can do is literally leave on a Sunday to come here. I know there's someone, probably in this room right now, who it took everything in them to come out. Because everything else in them was saying, don't go. It'll do you no good. No one will understand. And it feels really lonely. The boldest thing you did was leave your house in order that you could know you're not alone. You don't need to deal with this by yourself. I plead with us, let's not isolate. Let's be those who then seek to say, hey, this is the reality of the journey I'm on. Yeah, I understand I approach God. Yes, I understand I call to him. But I also know I have others who stand with me. Let's be those then that live understanding that we have a mixed heart. What do I mean by that? Well, Proverbs 14, 13 says this, even in laughter, the heart may ache. The kind of churches we are is that one of the kind of lines people like to, or titles they like to slap on us, I don't really like describing us apart from we kind of love Jesus and he loves us. That's how I kind of describe us. We know that God's good and we want other people to know that. However, other people want to slap on a title like, oh, what are you? You're like one of those happy, clappy churches. The danger with that title, happy, clappy, is it suddenly means, oh right, okay, so I need to get to the point of being happy and clappy. Okay, I'm on my journey of suffering. The goal here is to get to the point of saying, oh right, approach God, yep, done that. We've, even on Sunday morning, I've come, approached him. Oh, give voice, yep, done that. Make sure I'm not isolated, yep, done that. Okay, next thing, joy, because we're happy. Happy. And we kind of will ourselves up and say, yep, right, I've dispelled all of the pain, the suffering. Now I can be in that place of joy. No, that's not the point. The wisdom writer is saying, actually, we need to understand that we are complex beings who are able to have the capacity to feel things that can seem at the very opposite and yet can be at the very same time. And that is beautiful. It means in a moment of suffering, it isn't that we have to wait to kind of deal with all the suffering to find joy and laughter. It's actually in that moment of suffering where we can still feel acutely the pain and the agony, and yet within it is still having our gaze on the treasure, the wonder of who Jesus is, who's with us. And so at the same point as the proverb says, we can have that moment of feeling like we're filled with joy and laughter, and yet at the same degree, find that we're weeping tears. And we mustn't ever get afraid of that. We can live, and it isn't in some kind of weird mixture of thinking, have I, am I kind of getting crazy now? No, it's not that. It's that we can live literally with that mixture of emotions. And give ourselves permission for it. See, there are moments within suffering where I've known that sense of, God, you're amazing, and yet I'm weeping because of the pain and discomfort that I'm feeling. And it isn't that I'm trying to put a brave face on it. It's just the reality I get to live with. Of a heart that can have mixed emotions within suffering of joy and of pain. Of lightness 
yet heaviness, of laughter and yet tears. I can think of my good friend Gus Rosier who will talk about often moments, the moment in the road thereon of suffering, of saying they'll be laughing and yet crying. Is that because they're hysterical? No, it's because they've understood that as a follower of Jesus, part of us living this way of suffering is we can have both. Next one, wisdom. Suffering allows us a moment to understand a different way of thinking things through. See, it gives us an opportunity. Now, at this point, you can think, Adrian, I cannot believe you're saying this that my suffering affords me an opportunity. Here's where Jesus does change everything full stop. Because we could look at it and say, no, no, suffering is just to push you down and hammer you into the ground. Now, what about if suffering was a moment that allows you to understand something more of who God is, something more of who you are, and something more of who others are? Doesn't it suddenly change? that the suffering that I'm going through, the suffering you're going through, yes, it is acute, but actually it also provides a moment for, where you, for you to discover something more of who God is, of who you are, and who others are. And the last one in terms of, as an individual, I'd say that we're to live knowing there is hope. And I will come back to this in the next two as well. Hope is this. Suffering is never the end of the story. Jesus can, Jesus will. We need to understand that the end of our story, knowing Jesus is that suffering will never be the end of it. The hope is that Jesus will change it. Jesus will bring healing. And as I said, for some of us in that breakthrough, some of us that's within this life. For some of, some of us will that be within when we finally meet him. But it's understanding that hope of what Jesus placed in us, that he is the resurrection of the life, that he is the one that will bring about everything new, means that there is always hope. The story isn't over with suffering. Anyway, living with suffering as an individual. Let's quickly look then. Living with someone we love who is suffering. First thing, if you're living with someone who is suffering, you are their supporter, not their savior. You support, not save. Galatians 6, 2 and 5, carry each other's burdens, then for each one should carry their own load. There is a difference there. When you really love someone, care for them, and you see them suffering, everything in you wants to alleviate that suffering. Believe me, I, I have individuals around me who I deeply love and have seen suffer, and I would give anything to be where they are. But the reality is, I can't. What I can do is I can support them. And therefore, I can carry the burden with them. I can carry them when they feel like I can't carry on. I can be there and stand with them, but I can't ultimately take the load. I cannot change them. I'm also not responsible for how they feel. I can't change them in terms of how they feel about their suffering because that individual has a responsibility. But I can never save them. And for some of us, we need to know when we're caring for those that we really love, 
We're there to support. We're not there to save. Next one is we need to empathize, not sympathize. And for this one, I'm just going to show us literally a two and a half minute video, which I think expresses it way better than I could. And so hopefully at work, if it doesn't, then I'll have to explain it, which won't be as good. But um, it's from someone who's a lot cleverer than me, uh, who will explain it, we'll see some fun characters, and hopefully it'll show. <sighs> So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What's the name again? Brene Brown, much better than I could have explained. Here's the deal. I'm really bad at empathy. I really quickly do sympathy. Because in my... DNA of who I am is I don't want anyone down the dark pit. I want to pull them out as quickly as I can. I am the guy who always comes along and says, glass half full, silver lining. God's taken me on a journey in order that I can get better at this. 
I want us to be a community where we're really good at this, that we're good at empathy and not sympathy. Because I tell you what, there is a world out there, not just in here, that is longing to be understood. And the thing is, we have one, a God who's longing to come and understand them. And yet sometimes the door in to know him is through us. And therefore we need to get good at this. Point to God is the next thing. As I said, we're not the savior, therefore our goal is always to say, hey, God is longing to come into your situation. And that's the most loving thing we can do to someone is to say, I'm gonna stand with you and cause you to understand that God is the one who bring change here, bring hope here. And then the other, last thing I'd say in this one is that we need to be quick to lean on others. If you're loving someone who you love, who is suffering, you need to understand that you can't do that alone. And it is so important to have others around you who can support you in loving that other person. Which brings us on then to a loving community. Living with, as a community where someone is suffering. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul again says this. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, Paul wanted us to understand that who we are as a family, as a community, as a church, is like a body. And like my body, if you were to come up and kick me, wherever you kicked me, it would hurt. I would recognize that in the whole of my body. If you had tried to rip out my arm, I would understand that is attached to the rest of my body. And my guess is it would take quite a few of you because of my inner strength for you to even get to dislocate my arm. But Paul's one is to get hold of something, both in terms of rejoicing, but to down and look in terms of suffering, is that because of that connection towards one another, when one suffers, all understand that suffering because there is a deep connection of who we are as body together. But it's also understanding whose body we are. So we're not kind of some free, kind of walking, dismembered body with no head. That's like proper weird, isn't it? You know, we're a body, no head, just walking around. No, no, we're a body that has a head that's Jesus. Because whose body we are is Jesus' body on earth. Therefore, when we get to this point, it's understanding this deep, mystical moment that actually we get to be Jesus to one another. That in who we are as a community, when one suffers, it allows us an opportunity to reveal Jesus to the one suffering, as well as reveal a connection that is way beyond anything that's there. This isn't some sort of community club. It isn't a scout group or a, a boys brigade or um, a table tennis club. This is the body of Christ deeply connected. I don't know why I used any of those analogies. Um, so how then do we live in light of this? Well, I'd say we therefore live standing with one another. That when we see someone suffering, we feel the suffering, and therefore we understand as Jesus has handled us with care, we handle them with care. Our expectations of them are according to all that's going on in their lives. Therefore, I do know there are sometimes where there's people within us who can't be around us at the moment because they need to be handled with care. There's others that don't need to immediately pounce on saying, come on, why aren't you looking more smiley? No, handle with care. We stand within love, saying whatever's going on, I want you to know I'm here and I love you and I'm for you. 
We stand with by praying and lifting up. We don't leave it to the individual and say, come on, you must be praying harder. No, no, we stand with them and say, no, we're gonna keep lifting you to Jesus. Saying, God, would you come and be with this person? With those that continuously point to joy, say, hey, remember what's inside. Remember the treasure you have. Though it can feel very fragile at the moment, the jar that it's encompassed by, it's still there. It's still joy to be had. And we continue to see those who hold out hope. The greatest thing we can continuously say to people is, suffering is never the end of the story. I've sat down with numbers of people and I sometimes feel like the worst pastor in the world. Where I sit down with people as they're facing death. And in those moments, I don't deny death. I rather say, hey, do you know what? There is a hope that goes beyond the grave. Death has no sting. It will end. And we will be with Jesus forever. And we will know more goodness, love, mercy, kindness, beauty, majesty when he gets this world as it's meant to be than we've ever known before. And in those moments, it isn't that I'm saying, hey, I give up. No, it's in those moments that I hold out hope. There is nothing in this life that is beyond the point of hope. Beyond that point of saying, actually, yes, there is suffering, but it will end. It is not the end of your story or mine. Therefore, we will be a community that lives with suffering. We're not going to be afraid of it. We're not going to run after it. We're not going to suddenly go and say, hey, who's got the best suffering story at the moment? No, we're not going to be that. We're going to be a community that says, suffering is there, yet the treasure that is with us is stronger and greater and more beautiful. And therefore, suffering will never be the end of anyone's story around us or anyone's story that we come into contact with because we want them to understand that suffering might be there. But there's one to know who is greater than any suffering. And that's where we're going to end. And how it's to end is I'm going to just pray for us. And then those who've got kids are going to go out and get some kids hopefully their own. Those of us who haven't aren't. But it could be that some of us know what it is to be living with suffering at the moment. Maybe we're living with someone who we really love who's suffering. And for us at the moment, we think, hey, I just need to know I'm in that community that understands what it is to suffer. And the thing that I most need today is just someone to stand with me, to love me, and to pray for me. And we're going to do that. Not because we have to, not because it feels like it's the best application of what I've said, but because it's just who we are. And so, should we just stand and then pray for us and then invite anyone who wants prayer to come forward? It won't be a big call. People will come forward. We'll pray for them. Others of us get drugs. Others get kids. Jesus, I thank you so much that you're life that you offer that changes everything full stop includes moments of suffering 
And God, I thank you that our faith is robust. I thank you that we don't have to fear suffering. But God, that we can know that you're with us in it. And God, I want to pray for us as a community first. I want to pray, would we get good at knowing how to stand with, to understand, to love, and to support different ones of us who are suffering, but also those that are going to come amongst us who are suffering. And I want to pray that we get a reputation where we're the kind of place that if you're suffering, you're welcome. You don't have to hide. And God, I want to pray also, though, for those in this room now who are suffering. I pray, would you come and meet with them? I pray, would you who are able to deal with us so gently, you who are full of compassion and comfort, you who are full of everything we need, would you come and meet with us? And God, I want to pray for those that I know aren't able to be with us because of suffering. I pray, God, would you meet them in their bedrooms, their homes, and their hospitals. Ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.